Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hashtag no music, no intro. Another episode of Hashtag Sings Tour Podcast. Uh, this is this is it. This is Ryan and my Super Bowl. Like, yes. don't yes. don't care about the Saints. I don't know how we pulled this off. Um, thank you. Thank, so I'm just gonna say thank you so much for for how Hickle for coming on the podcast. He's been on the show before. Um, animate animation director of The Mandalorian, Sophia Gadnazar, astrophysicist, taking time out of her evening from grading papers she could be talking about mars and and endeavors and all these mars missions but we did this collaboration podcast we have space we have star wars together one episode like like this is it so thank both you so much for for blessing us and coming on and and giving us more time to speak to you guys thank you happy to be back yeah, thanks for having me too. <laughs> we're like we're like giddy kids waking up on on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm I'm wearing my my little Ahsoka, my little Hello Kitty Ahsoka shirt that me and my daughter have matching shirts. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll I'll start off. Um, we we had Hal on. Feels like it was forever ago, but a couple of months ago, you couldn't. <laughs> going to super detail about season two as season two had just ended like a week after we had gotten to how on. Um, but now you can kind of talk about everything in regards to season one and season two. So I'm just gonna start off. Um, what was the, the moment for you like in season two that that holds like a special place in, in your heart and, and, and the work that, that you do? Oh God, there was a bunch of great stuff we did this year that I was really excited about. Um, the beginning of this the season, I, the dragon was really a lot of fun to do and a lot of work. And then at the end of the season, the whole little um, you know the final scene with with Luke and and Baby Yoda was was great and hard to get right. Yeah, I know. You're gonna tear, you're gonna tear up already. Are we out? <laughs> yeah, she's ready. Um, all right. Uh, you know those were great. And then in, you know in between there was all kinds of fun stuff. We got to fly oh. the slave one around and uh, yeah. uh, do uh, dark troopers and 
a couple of great chases, one in the canyon on on uh, Navarro, and then the uh, the uh, juggernaut chase with with uh, Mayfeld and everyone in the next to last episode. So I don't know. There was just tons of great stuff this season to to take a crack at. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was quite amazing, and you know just. After seeing the whole season and the way it ended and everything, it was just like they really did it. Like they finally, I'm, I'm not going to say finally, but they really figured out how to bring Star Wars into 2021 and create new fans. You have people, my coworker, he had never watched any Star Wars, anything. And he saw some of Mandalorian, then he went back and watched the original Star Wars episode. Three, That's fun. Six, then he went watch the prequels, and then you know, he just it just and he watched you know, uh, Clone Wars, so he just created like just a whole new generation. He's in his 20s, like a whole new generation of you know, Star Wars watchers, and it's just amazing just how this is becoming kind of our you know, the American or you know, the Earth's 21st century, it's kind of like our you know, Shakespeare or you know, uh -huh. all these old stories yeah. that go back to you know. Aeropostle or whatever, it's just like this is our thing. Like it's becoming a part of our culture. That's just like how's it feel to just be a part of that? You know? Oh man, it's great because I'll tell you, it's, you know, I grew up. You know, the original Star. We talked about this on the last show. The original Star Wars in '77 had a big impact on me, and and it was a big part of guiding me toward the career I've had. And um, and then I worked on the prequels, uh, two of them, back in the '90s, and. You know the reception for those was mixed i'll just say yeah. um so that was kind of bittersweet in a way it was like super exciting to get to work on them and it was my opportunity to work with george which i'll always treasure um but it was also my first brush because i don't remember back in the probably because there was no internet but i don't remember back in the day with the original trilogy a lot of divided <laughs> fan <laughs> opinion <laughs> Uh, I, if they, I guess they existed, but they existed in little, you know, yeah. I, I would, my friend, you know, Doug and I would argue about whether Luke was really uh, Vader's son or not, you know, but before Jedi, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, right? Um, so the, the um, prequels was my first brush with, you know, a sort of divided fan base, if you will. And, um, and so it's been fun since then to get to work on a couple of projects that I feel like were largely had largely positive reactions. One of them was Rogue One, and the other one was Mandalorian. I really didn't work on the um, sequel trilogy much at all, uh, and I worked a little bit on Solo, which I really like a lot, by the way. But um, but the films that I of the new stuff, the stuff I worked the most on was Rogue One and Mandalorian, and both of those feel like had you know largely positive reactions from the fan base. And that's I got to yes. tell you, some some who worked on. The prequels, that feels great. Of course, the other thing that's happening now is that there's a whole group of fans who were little kids when the prequels came out. Right. Love them. And exactly. that's, that's fun, too. It's like, oh, finally, it's great. I love hearing people go, oh, are you kidding me? You know, Phantom Menace is my favorite Star Wars movie. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's amazing. You exist? <laughs> Tell me that again. Say that again. I want to hear those words again. <laughs> so that's been really... That's been really fun too, but um, but yeah, it's it's you know it's obvious, it's thrilling. Also, I've never worked on a, a TV show before, a streaming show, uh, and so there's something really fun about 
you know, the first season came out and people were really digging it. So while we were working hard on the second season, we could kind of soak up the love from the first season, as opposed to when you work on a movie, you know, it comes out and people like it or they don't, and it's sort of behind you and you're working on something else. Right. It's kind of fun to still be making the same thing, working on the same project, the next season of it, but the same project, while people were still, you know, all jazzed about uh, the stuff you've just done with the first season. So that was, that's really fun, I gotta say. I mean, who doesn't love that, right? I mean, it's great to be involved with something that, yeah, yeah. that people seem to like. So it's it's been great. Sophia, being a, an astro astrophysicist, obviously you have a love of space, you have a love of Star Wars. Is it is it hard for you when you're watching Star Wars or it's Mandalorian or any of the films to like just cut off the astrophysicists, you know, and just enjoy, you know, being in a galaxy that isn't like you know, isn't a real one or that we know isn't a real one, but like, is it, is it hard for you to kind of distinguish between the two? Um, so I'm actually, I think in, in probably the smaller population where I actually can turn that off and I, I'm fine, but I do notice, like, I do notice things. I'm like, you know, okay, well that battle would not happen like that in space. But it's okay, because if we did it how it would, then it would be really boring. And so, um, like, I also did, I did science advising for the 12 Monkeys um, TV series. And oh. that one was also kind of like, you know, some people couldn't really... Brag. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is, this is actually, it's actually a direct example of, of something that where I was able to just turn off because I know there's a lot of stuff in there like causality problems with the yeah. time travel and whatever but at least you know like we made the t the time travel part or at least the theory part of it work for that universe and I think like the Star Wars tries to do that too for example like hyperspace or excuse me hyperdrive that's not a thing like and it's not gonna be a thing because that's going like that's that's essentially faster than light traveling you can't travel faster than light and the reason for that is because and you can actually draw this out if you travel faster than light it's like moving back in time like somebody will get your can get signals like from you at the end like let's say let's say let's say let's say like i'm i'm sending like a beam out to like into space Somebody can receive the beam sent first before I've actually even sent it. And that doesn't make sense because there's something like there's a cause and effect. And right. so like, that's like having the effect before the cause. And that doesn't make sense. But like what right. Star Wars tries to do is say, well, hyperdrive is this extra or this other dimension where we kind of leave <laughs> space and time yeah. and then we can do all this fun stuff. And I'm, I love it. I like, you know, I, I definitely notice the things, but I can totally turn it off and just be like, it's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy this. So long as it's still like kind of sound, <laughs> you know? <laughs> have you seen, uh, have you seen Tenet yet? Oh my God. What is it called? <laughs> Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan film, Tenet. I've not. Well, it's all, it's all about time, timey-wimey stuff and cause and effect. Literally, you know, it's, that's the whole basis of the film is that stuff from the future is being sent back. It's a war on the present from people in the future, basically. Not with anyone good anymore, but you, you might enjoy it just because of what you just talked about, or you might hate it. it might drive you nuts. Like, I, think, I, think, I, think she would, I think she would hate it. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I guess you hated it then. 
I didn't. I love Christopher Nolan. I love most of his works, but like most of his movies, they end and I'm like, okay, like I get it. Like Inception, confusing to a, to a degree, but I understood it. Um, Interstellar, understood it. That was like the one Christopher Nolan movie. I, I watched it and at the end I was like, what what did I just watch? Like, <laughs> like it's yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> I did enjoy though in um in Interstellar, I did enjoy uh that it felt like they tried very hard to um talk about you know gravity and its effect on time and space and what yeah. it means to go to this planet versus that planet. They did a very good job. Yeah. Time dilation and all that stuff. And, and that was very fascinating. There were a couple other choices that they made dramatically that I didn't dig as much, but I am. I'm a was fan. it inside the black hole? What's that? No, I, um, that was okay. It was, um, I was a little bummed that, uh, that, uh, what's her name? Um, and, um, oh, um, they had one woman aboard, basically. Anne Hathaway. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Uh, it, yes. It's her That's character right. who ends up talking about love as being <laughs> transcending. I knew, I, knew, I, knew, I knew what annoyed Hal before he even said it. And I, <laughs> no. that, love, love transcends time and space. Yeah. I mean, the idea of that is okay. It's just I felt like when putting it in, in her, coming from her character, I just, yeah. it troubled me a little bit. You get, Yeah, um, because she was like super scientific. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. Yes. And so yeah. that, that bummed me out a little bit that she was making a decision for that reason rather than really from a, sci from a scientific standpoint. Sticking to the science. Um like in the larger scope of the film, love's an important part of it. It's how right, right. it's how you know George Clooney's no, George Clooney. Um <laughs> Mahon, <laughs> Mahon, I don't know where I got George Clooney's not even in it. Oh, he was just in uh, I think uh, you were thinking uh, of like the Midnight Sky. Another father-daughter science fiction, whatever, anyways. But Matthew McConaughey, you know, it's how he's able to bridge. I was fine with that. That's, that gets very, you know, you're inside a black hole. I don't know what that's gonna be like. I, in fact, I like the, the visualization of the Tesseract and yeah. the, the slices of time. I just thought it was beautiful to look at and easy to yeah. understand, which was cool. But it was just, it was more just the, that one little moment within Hathaway is kind of like, ah, Really, does does it have to be her that's yeah 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 making this decision on those? But anyways, whatever. I, yeah, I, 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 like we, I feel like with movies like that, they try to do like corny, cute things like that to, I guess, maybe just add a feel or whatever to it. But I can yeah. see, like, yeah, why you'd be like, couldn't that have been somebody else who said that and not yeah, her? Right. Because but she like, was yeah, because she was like so she was like hardcore science. And it kind of felt like they kind of picked the woman. So let's let's have the woman feel like that when it really would have made sense to have like Matthew McConaughey's yeah, character yeah. with his with the fatherhood thing with his daughter Murph and all that stuff. Right. That would have been. But like, look, Christopher Nolan, he's no <laughs> good for it. So I'm not about to sit <laughs> yeah. here. I hear you, Judge Christopher Nolan. You know. And Star Wars, you know, I mean, George always intended it. I mean, he wanted to make Flash Gordon. Um, he wanted to literally remake Flash Gordon, but he couldn't get the rights. So he decided to write his own. And, you know, it's not really science fiction. It's, you know, I guess people call it space opera, but yeah. so they have sound in space and nobody talks very much about science. You know, it's not like, um, yeah. and we've had conversations about this making, for instance, making Mandalorian, where we're trying to solve a problem where there's some uh, exposition needs to be given by a character. If it sounds too sciencey, 
you know, almost so, somebody in the room is going to say, uh, that's too Star Trek. That's Star Trek. That's not Star Trek. <laughs> right. Because Star right. Trek will get into, you know, yeah. we have to go, we have to slingshot around the sun and do this yeah. and that. Yeah. And it'll send us back in time and they'll whatever. But they, even if it's complete nonsense, they, they'll get, they'll try to sound very sciencey about it. Mm. Star Wars, nah. The most yeah. science you'll get is the hyperdrive isn't working and handle exactly. on the dashboard. And, you know. and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I love that. I love that because I love, like, I'm a huge Star Trek fan and a huge Star Wars fan. Yep. I love what Star Trek does. Like, they literally, they literally like, try to take science out from what's actually going on and try to introduce it. But I love how Star Wars is just like, just like, um, you know, what was the name of Mando's, uh, the uh, the Razor Crest? Like, it's just like a hoopty. It's basically a hoopty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, you know it's, it's just taped up. And you got rope everywhere. And it's just kind of, and it's, Literally driving faster than the speed of light across the galaxy. And it's like, what? <laughs> makes no yeah. sense, but I love it. I love it. I just love that they just make this technology like just so available. Yeah. It's just like, okay, whatever. Okay, you pet fast, you, you can travel across the galaxy. Big deal. Like, you know, <laughs> like, who, like, yeah. like who can just head over, you know, like yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, go ahead. I'm sorry, Sophia. No, no, no. I was, I was, I was, I was just actually like, the, like the, how you pointed out the very, like the differences between um, Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah, Star Trek, Star Trek definitely tries to get the science more right than Star Wars does. But, um, but like, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess people would probably wonder, like, you know, for example, like with the lightsaber, how could you actually make something yeah. like that? So, like, cool. yeah. It's so you could technically make a lightsaber, like, so, so something like sort of beam of light that you can kind of hold into place by using like a plasma. And because plasma is charged, so it has a charge, then you can use magnetic fields to hold it in place. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, yeah, you, and that would definitely slice through a person because it's hot. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's hot. So it'll like probably, you know, completely <laughs> vaporize you just instantly. And so, um, but you know, but 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 that's as far as it goes. Like you're not, we're never gonna. I don't think we're gonna have weapons like that, um, unless maybe in the future. That's that's something that um, a future society figures out. But like yeah. that's a way that you could do it. At right, right. You could do that. And I love that Star Wars never. They have never yet to show how you create a star, a lightsaber. And I don't want them to. Like just let it be. Just some, you know, they, let it be what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's funny because yeah. I remember one of the deleted scenes from Return of the Jedi before Luke goes into Jabba's hut is it shows him constructing his his new green yeah. lightsaber. That's yeah, right. hut. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking. Yeah. Speaking of Luke, I got we got to talk about it. Let's let's <laughs> let's get to the let's get to the main course. Um, I, I say this without hyperbole. I say this, I, I think I said on the last podcast, I'm not sure, um, you know, but Luke's return to me, any any medium movie, TV show, like top, top moment in any medium, like in my life that I, I the, the emotional um, experience I, I got from it, it was just, I can't even describe it. So our, our question is like, when did you find out about like, you know, you're going to be involved with, you know, Luke and Mark Hamill. Like, when did you know, like, that was going to, that that was going to take place? Um, 
pretty early in the ramp up to doing the second season. In other words, pre-production, heading into production. The scene wasn't shot until toward the end of the thing and it was kept quite secret. A lot of um, you know, great lengths were, were gone to to keep the whole thing secret that the set was locked down that day and uh, it was a very small crew and there were just a lot of extra precautions. Um, we kept the identity of the character secret. We used uh, we used code names and didn't nobody ever said Luke or and it wasn't in emails or script notes or anything else. It was all kept very quiet. Um, so that was all difficult and hard to do. Um, and it was a nail biter uh, till the day that the episode aired because we were sure that somewhere somebody was going to leak it. And fortunately, they, they kept it quiet. And so I had a great time actually watching Twitter that evening yeah. <laughs> when the episode came out and then looking for um, reaction videos over the next few days. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the, the reaction video. I really just enjoyed seeing grown ass men. Yeah. Like, Big buff dudes, me, me. And they all just like they all like. Oof. You couldn't hold it because I was the same way. I was like, I'm sitting. Why am I crying right now? Like why? I don't. Know. Well, the build up, yeah. the build up was a lot of fun because you know, obviously there'd been through the whole season. There's this uh, idea that Mando's looking for a Jedi to train Grogu. So right, we. But then he meets a Jedi in the middle of the season. Um, Dave's episode where he meets Ahsoka. And then she yeah. says, I can't train him. You got to go this other place. Yeah. So then everyone's wondering after that point, what's, you know, is he gonna, who's it going to be? Is he going to meet another Jedi? Blah, blah, blah. So you get to that final episode and everyone still got that in the back of their mind. Like, what's going to, how are they going to get out of this? A and B, who's it going to be? Who's going to show up? And this X Wing comes through. And people are like, Whoa. And then, you see a dude in Jedi robes, like, wait, or we don't know the dude. We see a person in Jedi, then lightsaber, but it's black and white um, security camera. So it's like, okay. Then color shot, green lightsaber. People are like, oh, okay. Ooh. Then you see a glimpse of a black glove. And then, you know, so it's just it's great flipping over the cards, just like a little bit at a time. Peyton Reed yeah. did the episode, and he and John worked really hard, and, and Dave as well worked really hard on constructing that and figuring out, you know, when, when to parcel out the information and not tip your hand too quickly. And, you know, so it was fun. And then, yeah, that day that they shot the, the scene, um, you know, Mark was there and super involved in the whole process and the performance and everything. And that for me was, I mean, you know, uh, that was a total high point for me and, you know, previous geek out inner child moments were like, uh, there was a day on Rogue One where there's a cameo, C-3PO's in Rogue One for about five and a half seconds. And the day they shot that little cameo with him and R2, I happened to be there in, in England that day when they were shooting that scene. And so that was just like, oh my God, it's Anthony Daniels. He's in the suit. He's playing C-3PO. I'm, I'm watching this and film this. So this was to me like, the, the you know, this was another hundred notches up for, even from that. It's like, oh my God. Right, because I'd never met Mark before in my whole life, and mm. so you know, getting a chance to see him—not uh, just you know, see him in person, which it would be exciting in any circumstance, but particularly the, the context of that of it being mm -hmm. a Star Wars thing and a set, a Star Wars set, and 
the whole deal that was just that was super exciting for me personal <laughs> yeah. Sophia, Sophia, did you have any favorite moments that you had from from season two that you can okay i don't know if i want to call this a favorite moment but um because it was also super sad okay okay let, let's start with the favorite moment my favorite moment was when um was when uh when he, he addresses Grogu like for Grogu for the first time and, and he kind of just turns over, right? Yeah. Like he responds to his name. Huh? And um, so that was that was the thing that touched me a lot. So I guess maybe you all know what the saddest part is for me. Yeah. Which is when he left, they took him away. They took Baby Yoda away. And now I'm like <laughs> I love watching for Baby Yoda. And I'm like, just yeah. I I'm gonna well, have to hope that he's come he's coming back and like no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's gonna happen next uh no i'm not gonna tell you what's happening <laughs> like what i'll drop a news on the pot no yeah but i do i know what you're talking about when he says grogu and he's like and he makes this weird yes. great little noise he looks up uh oh, so good and that those are the puppeteer the legacy effects puppeteers Mm. Uh, they are so yeah. brilliant, and uh, that that was them doing their thing with the puppet version of Baby Yoda. And it's just that whole episode. They did some really, oh, really that, great work with him. That yeah. episode with the Shokatano, the Jedi. Oh my goodness! I mean, just the the opening, and you know, I saw, I watched some of the, uh, you know, the the making of that you know Disney puts out after the season, and how they actually had lights, you know. Fake lightsabers, obviously fake lightsabers that light up, and it just gave that beautiful effect in that dark, that dark environment and the light it puts off. And it just, I don't know, something about it just visually, it was just so beautiful when yeah. she's fighting, you know, she's fighting the guards out there in the forest, and you see her just pull a, pull the lightsabers out and it goes and it goes on a beautiful face in the and home like, like the, the, oh, in audio. the home and it's just like <laughs> thank you thank you like you get it like they, they get it like when they when you see filmmakers yeah. that get it it's just like thank you it's thank beautiful you and dave filoni i mean he's a big um japanese cinema fan um, oh yeah and he so he this was his love letter to you know kurosawa and, and other japanese yeah. filmmakers. and he was so attentive to every detail because the other thing about that episode is Dave lives up north of here. Like I live just north of San Francisco. He lives another, I don't know, 40 minutes north of me. And like Southern California, you know, we've had some pretty devastating wildfires over the last few years, um, particularly the year that the Paradise Fire burned that whole town down, a bunch of other stuff. And Dave, that made a big impact on him. And so this planet that's meant to be, you know, kind of poisoned by this, whatever this industry is that's going on there that the magistrate is running. He, the visual for that of those sort of forests with no, yeah. I mean, the trees are all bare and the ground looks kind of blackened and there's that ashy smoke in the air. That all came from the, you know, stuff he'd seen. Wow. Wow. The fires and, and that's why he wanted that to look that way. And it's just so beautiful. Like he was so specific about, okay, there's, if there's a tree that's prominent in a shot, is you know he would be super specific about the shape of the branches and everything. So you know, he comes from animation, and so he's he's mm -hmm. boarded his whole episode, and he's done drawings of you know every shot and every composition, and so that was it was super fun to work with him on that because he was just so 
you know, he had such a vision for it, like from beginning to end. And so it's great, good fun. That's Thank so you. cool to hear that, to hear that that's like the story behind it too. Yeah, wow. Yeah. There's also like another thing that I don't, I don't know, I don't know if you guys like, I don't know how this affected you guys, but I really like the dynamic of like them introducing the fact that, well, no, not all Mandalorians um, have oh, yeah. to, you know, have to wear their masks all the time. Those are fanatics. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, they introduce kind of this, 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 this almost humanity into it where you do see that in reality. Like yeah. that's probably what would happen with human beings if we split exactly. apart, for yeah. example. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was a nice layer on their their whole society and it's like, oh, they're not all the same. They've got, oh, okay, some, yeah. of, some of them can take the helmets off. And some of them can't, yeah, yeah. that was cool. Right, yeah, some of our extremists, some are, you know, some kind of want to, you know, I mean, just like any society, and especially if you're talking about a society that, you know, takes over, a, you know, a, uh, you know, a few planets, of course, <laughs> kind of different cultures. That you know, that, yeah. So it's like yeah, that makes total sense. It was like, but I love that they introduced that because, you know, I, I saw a lot of questions after the episode. It's like, wait, you know. So, but then people are like, oh, so I got to go watch Clone Wars now, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure do. <laughs> I also really liked uh, Frog Lady. That oh. was a character, you know, when she, she that was a character that I think was made in season one in glimpse just briefly and. Maybe in the bar, the pub, in the very first episode, or I don't know, somewhere along the way, or maybe on um, Tatooine. Uh, I think it was season episode five in season one, somewhere in there. And they liked her, and they're like, you know, let's bring her back and make a thing, a little storyline with her. And uh, I just dug her so much. Misty Roses is the actress who played Quill in season one, and she plays Frog Lady in season two, and she's just so talented. Like she can get in that suit. And she can't see very well out of the suit, you know. Yeah. But she just somehow brings it to life. Like she brought That's so wild. much charming character to it. So she anyway. was so like, good. Like how how can you <laughs> do that? It was like yeah. she was so good, and you really felt for, her, especially the next episode when he got to the planet and she finally met up with her uh, baby daddy, oh. I guess. Husband. Husband. <laughs> Look, man, like, when baby Yoda started to eat those eggs, I was like, that was the first time where I was like, no, baby Yoda, you can't do that. And I, was, I felt like, you know, it was, it was the first time that I felt anything sort of like <laughs> to baby Yoda. Oh, yeah. Is he going to yeah. the dark side? I was like, <laughs> slipping him up. Right? <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, you know, the one time where he snuck the egg. And then he and then he takes him back to them to babysit and he's like, oh. you, know, and he's like you know, stay out of trouble. You know what I'm talking about. He's like saying that to baby Yoda and the frog people are like, What's he? I don't know, what's that all about? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then he, he sees one born and that was John's idea of that was that it's a growth moment for baby Yoda. Like he's oh. the little thing swim out and real and you know I, i'm sure there were people watching some folks who were like oh he's gonna eat that but <laughs> but john's idea was that he sees that and kind of oh this is i right. need, I need I, you know this is a life form this, this is a life form right which and is uh, something little kids have to learn they don't know yeah we're really yeah, little they, kids. yeah exactly exactly when the when the little baby goldfish dies it's like what yeah. you know it's like you're starting to figure out things um and I, that episode, 
I remember when it came out, it was, you know, the Ice Spiders, and it got a lot of the hardcore Star Wars fans like, oh, this is a filler episode. I'm like, there is no such thing as a filler episode. Like, what are you talking about? This is like, bro, that episode, I was so tense. And like, I felt like I was watching like the Star Wars version of like the thing or something. Like, I was was stand on the table for that episode. That was like, they could make a movie just that, you know, just with that. Concept. It was awesome. Like you had the you had the dogfight on a planet that looked like Hoth, and then the ice spiders, and that felt like like a mini horror movie. I was like, yeah, you, had, you know, the alien influence and all that stuff with the, with the eggs. Yeah. It was oh man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got to do a lot of fun stuff in that episode. That you as you mentioned that the chase up in the clouds with the X wings, and then down into that ice trench and crashing through, and then all the ice spider stuff and. Uh, a little, you know, even though Misty was Frog Lady uh, 95% of the time, there's little bits where we had to animate her, like when she's she starts bounding along like a yeah. like a frog. So we, you know, those are animated. So we had lots of fun, fun things to do through that whole episode. And that was also Peyton Reed who directed the final episode. He directed episode two as well, and he's just super fun. I hadn't gotten to work with him before, and. Um, so that was just, I don't know. It was really good yeah, fun. He, did, he did great. He did great coming from Ant- he was Ant-Man, right? Did he? Ant- Ant-Man, yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Um, is there uh this is this is for for Sophia. Um in terms of uh like do you have like a favorite Star Wars planet? Like, you know, from a... <laughs> an astrophysics like a planet that you're just like oh like i mean i know mine like mine is tatooine like the, the binary sunset just that that image that cinematography is a, to me like a top five star wars like scene and just seeing luke looking at the the binary sunset um but like do you have like a favorite star wars planet that 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 you that you like that's actually that is actually my favorite star wars planet too like hoth is just ice (laughs) and so you know but you know on tattoo you get two suns which is awesome like in reality i don't know how that would work because you know you have if you have two orbiting suns then you probably have mass transfer and a whole bunch of like like really active flares and stuff going on there so um and then plus plus that would also create like a really eccentric orbit um, meaning that there, there's going to be some points where you're really far away and mm. you might actually freeze over and stuff. So it, so whether it's like possible or not, um, it could be with certain circumstances, but that's, the, I, I love, I love Tatooine. Yeah. So, so basically, oh, go ahead. Uh, just, so just, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, that was going to be my question to you. Is it even possible to have a habitable planet with two suns. Right, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So there are, but there are tons of planets that are, that orbit two, two suns um, because a lot of stars are actually binaries. So we do have planets orbiting binary stars. And so um, the issue then is kind of like whether its orbit is close enough that, you know, it stays warm, but far enough that it doesn't get roasted uh, whether how active the two the two binary stars are the binary system how active it is if it's really doing like a, a really like heavy mass transfer um, 
and stuff like that would have would have to be factored in but it would be very hard to make i think a habitable planet with two suns two moons that's a different story you have three even that's cool <laughs> but two suns is a little bit more challenging yeah no, that's crazy yeah. Speak, speaking of tatooine um i i feel like there's a lot popping off with mars recently um whether it's uh you know the you know i believe what the Everett nation just did like like their expedition i know the u.s is doing like a rover am i, am I correct I'm, like i just feel like mars is getting a lot of buzz um coming up in regards to what's happening on on the planet yeah so we actually have three missions that arrived and are arriving to mars in february like um there's a mission set by the United Arab Emirates that arrived on February 9th. There's a mission also, I think, sent by China. And then, of course, the U.S. is sending, NASA is sending their, their, um, their mission, which is a rover. So that's a lander, whereas these two others are orbiters. So they're just going to stay in orbit around Mars, whereas this is the lander that's going to that's gonna be landing on Thursday. So everybody do pay attention to that because it's going to be awesome. And... I think like, I really need to point this out. This mission, okay, is so cool. It's so, it's so much like kind of like gives you hope for the future because what this mission is doing, of course, yeah, it's, it's studying, you know, microbial life, trying to see more about how, you know, how, how possible it was that life had Mars on it in the past. But it's also doing things like it's, for one, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be taking and gathering soil and Martian rocks. In so it's planning for a future mission to come back and pick it up and take it to Earth. So this is like a mission that already plans for the future, and they're also sending something that's going to be producing oxygen for future astronauts. And to me, I feel like that is the biggest part of the mission that excites me so much because it's such a mission that's based on like promoting you know the future and and moving ahead and advancing technologically with space flight and stuff so and does yeah. it have a little helicopter or drone or something I, I, yeah what's that all about yes it is <laughs> it does have a little drone that's gonna so i think the point of that is to is to test uh how well a drone or a plane would be able to fly in as little atmosphere as mars has because Mars has an atmosphere, it's just really, it's really like really thin, really tenuous. I'm really excited about that. That sounds so cool. So <laughs> it is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> can you help a, a lay a layperson understand like what they're potentially doing in terms of, I believe you said like the oxygen that like the whole concept in regards to Mars to make it potentially like a ha habitable for humans or you know colonization at some point. So what like what is going like what's happening? during the mission that is going to maybe facilitate that to happen later on? Yeah, so I actually have to study a little bit more um, the, 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 I guess, the, the, the part that's going to be doing that because I didn't, I didn't look into that yet. So I don't know what the mechanism is going to be, but it's definitely like something that is producing oxygen. I think it was from, because Mars does have, I think, nitrogen and... Um, carbon dioxide. Or else. I'm sorry. Does it have carbon dioxide or no? Yes, 
and and that's and because we have dry ice on Mars, and so I think using those things are how they are going to be producing oxygen, so that um, for future astronauts can breathe. But I don't know the mechanism, and so I can't explain it to a lay person because I don't know it myself. Like I don't know it in full detail. Wait, you don't know everything about space? And oh, geez, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I dropped out for a second. My internet is having trouble. But uh, did you guys talk about Perseverance, the the Mars probe that's going to be landing? Sure did. Oh, you missed it, buddy. Yeah, already. Amazing, amazing. You missed it. But (laughs) because I'm just trying to, I don't know if the other probes landed like this, but the way it's, they're going to drop the probe from orbit and then it it sort of hovers above the surface and then it drops it drops the the uh, the rover and let's go and then the drone just kind of takes off and crash somewhere. Were the other landings like that or is this new? Yeah, so um, I think that what they're doing with the landing with that rover is 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 a first. Something similar though was with Curiosity. Mm. Um, Curiosity is the is the is the, the previous rover to right. Perseverance oh. that was sent to Mars. I watched that; it was uh, so fun, <laughs> so fun to watch, and also just so amazing to see the scientists all excited and stuff when it lands successfully. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think I think they, there's there's a lot of firsts with this mission, and that's what makes it so exciting to me. And there was some beautiful video from the Chinese uh, orbiter. Oh, yeah. beautiful! It's amazing. Yeah, coming into view and oh, yes. <laughs> it's funny because I I think I sent it to Ryan, and he was like, "It's just crazy. It's like a, it's a whole planet, just like yeah, just just, there. Like just, just chilling, like." <laughs> And also, like Mars is like the the Mars is literally the second most populated planet in the solar system. It's got so many rovers on there. So, like, if somebody was to you know, if a future civilization drops by and like you know passes by Mars, they'd be like, "Whoa, what is that?" You know, or whatever. They probably think it's inhabited. (laughs) So uh, it's 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 really cool. It's really cool. I'm super excited. Alien robots. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I promise. I promised my daughter I would. I would ask this question to Hal, and I think I know the answer to it. But um, her favorite character, uh, I think in Star Wars in, in total, is is Ahsoka. She loves Ahsoka so much, and she was just like, "How? Like, how did he help bring her to life? Like, you know?" And I was like, "Well, a lot of that was probably Dave, and I can imagine he was very instrumental in like all like the makeup and everything." Um, but if you could just talk about like anything that you did in bringing the kind of Ahsoka character to, to, to live action for the for the first time. Yeah, um, you know, in, in my end of the work, my participation in Ahsoka, as you pointed out, is actually pretty minor. Um, Dave obviously created the character. He's been drawing that character for years. It's obviously a big part of the animated series. Um, and then, of course, Rosario was cast and the makeup team went to work transforming her into Ahsoka and costuming and everyone else got involved. And then there were, of course, there was, you know, casting a stunt performer for, because Rosario could do a lot of it, but she couldn't do every bit of the fighting stuff and flipping and that kind of thing. And we always try to do as much of that for real as we can. You know, we, we try to have stunt people who can do flips and things. And then if they need to do Jedi flips where they're really jumping high in the air, 
hopefully we can do that on a wire pool kind of thing. And then occasionally we have to get involved at, on my end of things with, uh, you know, digital stunt doubles, basically. And so we had a tiny bit of that. We had a few shots of so where Ahsoka has to jump, you know, all the way up under rooftops or all the way over a tree branch where parts of that are our digital version of, of Ahsoka. And hopefully folks don't notice when we switch from one to the other. Um, but so really those little bits where we're sort of stitching together pieces of action is my only opportunity to participate in, you know, that awesome character. And, and really, you know, the bulk of that is down to Dave and Rosario and the, and the stunt folks and costume and makeup and, and all those great things. And they, they did, as you mentioned earlier, you know, they made great versions of her uh, lightsabers. And Dave was very exacting about exactly what the hilts have to look like because the two sabers are different. They have different hilts. One's longer than the, you know, one has a longer blade than the other one does and the hilts themselves are different. And Dave was just like super specific about all that. And it's funny because when we were shooting the scene uh, in the final episode when Mando was fighting Moff Gideon, uh, Giancarlo was really into that fighting. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito, and he's super into it. And and he kept breaking his lightsabers because he was really going at it. And so they had to actually go and get one of like the extra uh, Ahsoka lightsabers and wow. and give it to him because he broke the other ones. And then we had to digitally <laughs> fix the hilt to be the right hilt so people wouldn't wow. because uh, Ahsoka's wow. hilt were so distinctive. But um, yeah, anyway, sorry, wow. I got off the track there. But <laughs> I mean, you you've worked with John Favreau for a while. You worked at worked with him with Iron Man. And you've been, you know, Mandalorian. What is it about him that kind of makes him special? Because I just feel like he gets it. Like, whether it's Iron Man or Star Wars or whatever, you just, you feel like he gets it. He's able to balance the whole fan, fandom thing and the storytelling that really makes it everything worth it. Yeah. I mean, his, he's, uh, he brings a great set of skills to, uh, stuff like Iron Man or Star Wars. And what I mean by that is uh, stuff that's in some ways driven by spectacle and special effects and all that sometimes doesn't get as much attention to character and humor and things like that. Talking about movies generally, not just Star Wars or, or Marvel films, but just generally. And John is very good at always trying to keep a laser focus on uh, how does it make it make him feel? So if we're running down a sequence and we're just we're all looking at it together, whether it's in previous form or whether it's been shot and it's now been cut down into a sequence and we're all viewing it before John will get into any specifics about, you know, oh, that effect doesn't look right or I don't like the design of that spaceship or that creature's not moving right before he gets into any of that kind of stuff. He will talk at a very high level about how the sequence makes him feel and you know, by extension, how he expects it then to make an audience feel. And so that to me is, I think, one of the greatest things about working with him is because his insights are so focused on that. Um, I just, I kind of marvel at it, honestly, just working with him. I learn a ton, you know, and just like, here's a tiny, teeny, tiny example. We're working on the chase in the canyon in episode four, where they've stolen the Marauder and they're driving it down this canyon being chased by a uh, speeder bikes to begin with and then tie fighter yeah. and there's right. a moment in there where 
uh, Carl has, Weathers has taken out one of the speeder bikes and the other two split and go on either side of the Marauder. And at this point in the production timeline, we hadn't quite figured out yet what those two guys were going to do. Because those shots, the exterior shots were largely all CG, right? We didn't, this wasn't dependent on what had been shot. We were doing these in CG. And so we're discussing all kinds of different things that could happen, right? With the action and what's going on. And finally, we hit on this idea that the guy on the left side is going to do a, you know, basically something from old stagecoach robbery scenes from Westerns. He's going to pull his horse up alongside and climb up on top of the stagecoach, right? And, and pull out one of those grenades. And as soon as we hit on that idea and everyone's like, oh yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And John was like, yeah, I like that idea. Then he said, but don't, sh let's not show him climbing up on there. Because if, if, if you see him struggling to get off his bike and climbing hand over hand, you're going to start to root for him and just in some kind of way. Yeah. So let's just leave him there. He's pulled up alongside. Maybe he's just grabbed on. We'll leave him behind. We'll go to the action on the other side. And when we come back a little bit later, he should just already be up there pulling out the grenade because that keeps him as uh, a villain or almost like a monster, right? Who's mm -hmm. after them. And I was like, God, that is so smart. Because <laughs> in my animator's mind, I'm thinking of the action and how yeah. we're going to frame it. And oh, yeah, we'll show him climbing up and all this. I'm thinking of it mechanically. And John's always thinking about it emotionally. Like, no, don't, let's not show that. Let's. And that's just a one, you know, super tiny little example. But that's yeah. that's to me what I, I like the most about working with him. Also, he's just a tremendously nice guy. You know, he doesn't yell at people. He doesn't make people cry. <laughs> you know, he's just he's a nice guy. He's very yeah. sweet. Um, but he's just so smart. And and as well, he's really smart about. Um, and I'll and this is from my particular perspective, working on the visual effects. He's really smart about how he uses uses visual effects and how he chooses what technique to use, whether it's practical or CG or whatever. He's got, he's very canny about how certain techniques make the audience feel, you know, whether it's a rubber mask or a CG character or a puppet or a model or whatever. He, he always kind of takes that into account. You know, it, part of it is about what's going to look the best, but also part of it is about Again, how is the audience going to feel about this effect? And he's super smart about that stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, like he doesn't, he's not one of these directors who's like, oh, we're not using CG on this production. Because I hear some directors say that, and sometimes I feel a little bit like they're kind of just trying to get street cred with a, with a certain <laughs> of fans, you know? Who, who are, and, and with John, that's not, you know, he just, he's, for him, it's the right tool for the job, but it's also, a lot of it, it's about, how is this going to make the audience feel when they see this? And, and he's just super smart about that. So anyways, that's why I like working with him. That's so well, so well said. He's been, like Ryan said, he's had so much success, you know, over these, what, last, what, 10 years? Like, yeah. It, it's been, been pretty uncanny. Um, I know you can't say anything regarding anything in the future, but I want to ask Sophia, is there anything in particular you're looking forward to or you have like questions about in like Mandalorian season three or like like anything that you may, you know, that that you're questioning that you want answered, like as a fan? Everything that I have that I have to ask has to do with it'll be a spoiler. I want to know because I know that you can't you can't get rid of baby Yoda. You can't. 
because you just can't literally i'm, t- I'm telling you like, if that's the plan if that's the plan change it because people have come to you for baby yoga so please don't do that but my question is how they're gonna integrate them back so if they are are we gonna get more jedi in the mandalorian are we gonna see more of maybe not luke but like some other you know what that's that's kind of what i would want what, what i would want is yeah. how they're going to integrate that in and whether we get more more of the Jedi with that. And I don't know if you can answer that. Probably not. But. <laughs> I can't, but uh, <laughs> but it's a great question. And <laughs> Thank you. That, that's... <laughs> how old is as cool as a cucumber? <laughs> just, just... Hey, look, listen. Hell no. He, he know. He know Disney. Like, listen. Look, don't play with Disney, man. Don't play with it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. And you know, we we're all looking forward to it. I just wonder uh, you know, how just just on this journey you've been, you know, as a fan of Star Wars to being a part of creating this great series. Um I mean, how, how, like how can you how you how can you surpass what you've already done? Like what what's the mm. next step for you? How do you push it forward as far as where you've been you know you've already been you know I, I think don't you have an Oscar like you have an Oscar or two already like what what more can you do like, where, what's the next step for how people it's a good question um well I mean with regard to Star Wars uh I, you know I'm just excited to be doing whatever comes next particularly with John's at John Favreau's end of things, you know, with the, the TV series and all that. I'm happy to, you know, whatever those guys cook up, I'm happy to jump on. But the other thing is, I also work on stuff that isn't Star Wars. You know, ILM works on projects for all the different studios. And right. um, I'm, I can't talk about it now, but I'm also um, currently involved with, you know, a, a project that's 100% not Star Wars. And that's exciting too. In fact, being able to dip out of the Star Wars universe periodically and work on other stuff gives me, you know, more of an appreciation for Star Wars, to be honest, like rather than doing it 24 seven year in year out, it's nice to do stuff that's completely unrelated and then be able to come back at it fresh. So that's what I'm right now. I'm looking forward to both to being uh, still involved with, uh, you know, Star Wars, anything Star Wars going forward that I'm, that I can be. And then as well, this, this other project, which, you know, I wish I could talk about it here. We'll have to do a, we'll do another one of these down the road when I can talk about this other project, but I'm super excited about it. Um, but, the, you know, for me, that's that, but it has to be said too, um, you know, I'm not somebody who has ambitions necessarily to, for instance, direct. I know I've grown up and worked over the years with people who do, that's like their goal is to like jump from visual effects to, yeah. animated features or directing live action whatever and some of them had been successful at it i like what i do um but because i like what i do in some ways i'm a little beholden to what i'm offering you know what i mean it's like i can't just go out and pursue anything i'd have to leave ilm if i wanted to do that and i could do that i could go out in the world and, and pursue products but i like ilm i've been here for uh, this july i'll be 25 years and Ooh. um you know, it's great. It's just, it's a company I love and I like what they do. And so to a certain extent, whatever's next for me is, um, 
I mean, they're nice about it. They'll ask me, hey, are you interested in this project or that project? But sometimes at the end of the day, it's just like, we need you to do this. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's what I'm doing next. And, um, and that's okay too. Uh, uh, I don't know, I'm rambling here a bit, but I guess all that just to say that it's not entirely up to me, but, uh, but I've been super lucky so far. So I'm not, I'm not at all concerned. And I do have a project that I'm on now that I'm, I'm super jazzed about as well as continuing on with uh, all things Mandalorian. So it's all, it's good. It's a great time. I mean, to be honest, I, you know, so many people lost their jobs and had all kinds of terrible problems all through 2020. I'm super grateful that while I had to work from home and I am sick and tired of this apartment, uh, that's the most I can really complain right. about. I've been busy as can be and I'm super duper grateful for that. And, and it looks like that's going to continue into this coming year. So you yeah. had on a, you had on a point, a question I wanted to ask you when you first came on last episode, but how has it just been for you the change of I, I don't and this is just a guess but i would imagine prior to covid you know you're the animation director so it's you and other animators in the room and they're working on designs and you're working on designs and you guys collaborate you get together um and like okay this is the one then you send it up to john and he like you know but how has that been now that working from home and like you have, I'm sure you have a whole office space, but like doing that collaboratively, collaboratively through Zoom, like that just seems like it obviously it's worked, like it, the end result's been, but like just how has that transition been and like in a workspace sense? We got, we got super lucky on season two because we finished shooting just a couple of weeks before the shutdown here in California. Oh, wow. Okay. That hadn't been the case. We would have been in trouble because you know, it took quite a while for, for Hollywood to figure out how to shoot again under COVID. Now, there are all kinds of protocols in place and everything. So by the time fall came around and they needed to start shooting, uh, you know, this next season, they were able to do that. But when the shutdown first happened, you know, nobody knew what the hell they were doing. And we had, we had uh, ILM, you know, prior to that, at any given time, would have a small handful of people working from home. And usually it was for something, it was for a specific reason, like somebody was on maternity or paternity leave or something like that, but wanted to kind of keep tabs and still work from home or something like that. Um, and so the day of the shutdown, we had to send everybody home on the same day and they all had to start working from home. And that, so our IT folks were heroic, frankly, they, they, they worked it all out and we had a bumpy, I'd say a week or two, and then things really evened out. So on a practical level, we kind of got on with it and we figured out how to do everything and it's been fine. On a personal level, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of Zoom calls. I wanna, I wanna have dailies again with, with real human beings. And here's the thing, I don't even like people that much. Right, right, me too. <laughs> I completely get it. Completely. So nine times out of 10 when something terrible is going on, people are behind it. Somebody, somewhere, somebody. I don't even like people that much, but but I'm I'm tired of this, and I want to start going back into the studio and having dailies and stuff. And so I hope hopefully that'll happen. The other thing is, I really one of the things I like best in my job is being on set when the shooting stuff that we're going to be adding animation or creatures or whatever to, and that's been made much more difficult by all this. And so it makes 
less sense for me to travel the set now. Um, and that's the other thing I'm missing a lot, but those things will pass. Um, you know, it's not, there's lots worse things in the world, so I can't complain too loudly, but for me, that's the main thing is that I'm grateful that we could do our work and I've been busy. That's the main thing, but yeah, there's some things about it that I, I don't dig that much. Like ready to be over with. Yeah, man, I completely agree. I, I, I get it. I'm an introvert, and like most of the pandemic, I'm like, this is fine for me. I'm, I'm good sitting at home. Like, but there's still something about it. Is like, oh, uh, like, oh, uh, I just, uh, like, this is a little too much isolation. Yeah. Uh, because exactly. that's no longer a choice, right? Yeah, yeah like, exactly. I'm not choosing to. I have yes. no choice but to do <laughs> yes. this. Yes. Choice, yes. choice is so important. Uh, Sophia, I have a question for both of you guys. I'm going to start with Sophia. But it's the same question. Um, in your field, astrophysicists and in Hale's field, visual effects in Hollywood, you know, I know there's like a, you know, there's a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion, people of color, gender, you know, LGBTQ, everything. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's a hard question to answer. It's hard to figure out like how, but like for Sophia, like what's the outlook? You as a you know woman of color, how, how can we get more of an inclusion in that area? Because it's, you know, there's no easy way to just get an astrophysics. Like it's, <laughs> it's like it has to be something you want to do and so I mean how, how was one that somebody that might be watching or maybe they have a daughter that's interested in space and stuff like that how do they get them on the track to even think about going that route mm -hmm. um, okay so so um, in, in, in physics and astro there's no doubt that there's a huge problem with diversity um, you don't see that much, you don't see that much diversity in, in this field at, at all. And um, that's slowly changing. But um, I think one of the things, and this is, this is all, like really mandatory, I think, and this is something that the government needs to do, is I don't think it's fair that there are high schools that are underprivileged, whereas like, for example, if I go to this high school, I'm only gonna get this education, whereas if I go to this one, I'm gonna to get to learn about stuff that like, I'll never get to learn about until I go into, into college. So you have these people who are, you know, who are introduced, these younger children who are introduced in, like to astro, to like space and to all this really cool stuff. Whereas, you know, you go to an underprivileged school and they don't get that because they don't have the funding. So I think that needs to change because that right there, like you're already cutting off the possibility of sparking that interest in a child's part, you know? And so um, that, and of course, you know, societal issues like, you know, saying like the, the, the societal issues of um, where people of color are not always seen in that position. You know, you, when, you, when you ask children to draw a scientist, you're typically gonna get something that looks like Einstein. So like a white dude who's like yeah. really old and scraggly hair or whatever, you know? That is changing too. And so this, that's really good. But I feel like the, the biggest, or at least one of the biggest, the biggest pitfalls is that schools don't have the same access. And that shouldn't be, that, that's not fair. Like that shouldn't be the case. And so I think that's something that, that needs to change. And, you know, without that, parents can, you know, maybe 
take their kids to like science centers and look for like astronomy clubs. I know like my school has an astronomy club. Perhaps if they have like star parties, try to join and take your kid, take your kid with you so that they get to look at into a telescope and, you know, and enjoy the stars and stuff like that. Because I'll tell you that that changes a lot to get Mm. to see like a planet. You get to see Jupiter. Like I remember my first time seeing Jupiter and Saturn, I was like, Ah, and for my first time was in was in when I went to when I went to college. That's my first time seeing them. Okay, and so like, but if you know, I can imagine like for a child who sees them, if I freaked out that way, a child would be like, oh my goodness. And I feel like that opens up a lot of doors too. So like, expose your children by taking them to science centers, take them to star, star parties if you can. And honestly, nowadays. If you're careful and you find where to go, because of course, the kids, you don't want to expose them to everything online, but you'll find people online who will talk about this stuff and who want to interest them. And so that's that's kind of the way that I, you know, would want, would suggest addressing that. Yeah, I agree 100%. We need, you have to work on both ends of the problem because it, uh, same with, as you said, Sophia, you know, the, uh, there's a long ways to go in the, you know, sciences. Um, same with film, uh, and particularly with visual effects. Uh, women and, and people of color, super underrepresented in our ranks. It's been a problem for years. We're working hard on it, but you, you know, there's only so much you can do if the, um, the folks showing up at your door aren't diverse enough. And that's why mm. schools have to be a focus. Uh, just, just like you're I'm just saying the same thing you just said, but I totally agree um, because you've got to show kids that this is a career you can have. This is a career for you if you want it. And part of that though, is them seeing examples of people like themselves doing that mm-hmm. job. So you have to attack it from both ends, you know, better representation of people doing the job, but also communicating to kids. And like you said, you know, this, this nonsense of, of some schools just having no STEM uh, or arts or whatever it is, uh, because you know it's a public school that is in a bad part of town and doesn't get. You know, I've got a friend who's a public school teacher here in San Francisco, and her school. The, the difference between her school and a public school in, you know, a, a, a zip code where the val- property values are way higher. It's just you can't believe the difference, and it that's just to me it's a crime. Like night and day. Yeah. And my dad was a teacher; he was a high school English teacher. So I, I'm totally with you, Sophia. We got to attack both of those things, um, so the kids, you know, just understand that. Oh yeah, that's I can do that. That's that's something I can do. Yeah. Because they, yeah. they have to be shown. Exactly. They have to be shown. I mean, I'm a white guy, and even for me. One of the most important things for me was the first time I met someone who actually worked in film. So just that connection of going, oh, this is a real job that real people do. I can only imagine how hard it is for people of color or, or women and for certain industries to just not see themselves represented. I mean, that's another compounding factor on top of just understanding that it's a real job. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally yes. Representation is is huge. Like seeing somebody who looks like you already can can right. just spark that. Where you're like, oh, okay, so that means I could probably do that. Exactly. Right. You know? Right. And, and you know, some people feel like there's some kind of, you know, uh, ill will to that, but there is. It's it's just it's just it's something you know very psychological. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh, 
that's available to me too. Yes. Okay, I could do that too. And it's it just unlocks a door mentally. It is like, okay, that's something I can achieve. It's, there's no barrier there. And uh, Hal, I just wanted to ask you, just with today, how it is with the technology we have available, you know, content creators like me and Adam, so many people out there making fan films and little videos and stuff like that. Is that sort of a route that can be taken? Maybe you, maybe you go to a school that's underserved and you don't have available to you a lot of things. Is there, are there ways today in 2021 where people, young kids can go and try to tailor their own things and try to get noticed to maybe make it to Hollywood one day or just create their own little content for themselves? Absolutely. I mean, there has never been a better time to make movies or, or do animation. Um, you know, when I was a kid, if you wanted to do it, you had to get a, you had to be able to afford a Super 8 camera and the film for it and some lights and some other things that, you know, it's just, it was tough. And now, you know, almost everybody's got a cell phone at least that can shoot video and hopefully access to, you know, maybe even access to a better camera, but if nothing else, you know, you can shoot a whole feature film on an iPhone. You can do it. It's been done. Um, and if you're interested in visual effects and animation, there's incredible software out there now that's completely free, like Blender. Blender is a uh, open sourced visual effects and animation software. Plus uh, a lot of the real time software now like Unity uh, is also being made available to people for free or very little cost. Now, I understand computers aren't free, but yeah. you know, one way and another, hopefully people can, can get some access to computers at, um, you know, at school or, or wherever, but, but it just, just to say that, you know, the, the equipment and software side of it has never been, the bar has never been lower in terms of getting into that. And then in terms of just learning things, there's so much information for free on the internet, tutorials about staging scenes with actors, tutorials about shooting movies, about, you know, uh, storyboarding, about animating, about, I mean, you name it, there's information out there. Whereas when I was a kid, uh, you know, there's no internet. I was like scouring the bookstores for magazine articles or books, if I could afford them about whatever, you know, animation or filmmaking, whatever. And now yeah. it's just, it's crazy. All the stuff that's out there completely for free. I, if so, if people have access and can afford um, to go to an art school, I encourage that because it, it puts you in a community of people who are kind of like-minded and pursuing the same things. But if you can't afford it, there are other paths. I, I went to CalArts. I loved CalArts, but I only went for one year because I got terrified of the cost of the tuition yeah. at the end of that first year. Mm -hmm. So I left and I found my way in other ways. And, and today there are even more paths. You know, there are great online schools for animating. There's you know, there's so many different ways to skin a cat now that that um, I just I think it's wonderful. Um, you know, and and of course, at the very if you strip it all down, where it's like, uh, let's just say some kid really wants to make movies, but they don't even have a cell phone. Well, pick up a pencil and start writing your ideas down. That's at the very least you can do that. And I know that may sound a little trite, and obviously a person who's that poor has got a lot of barriers and a lot of problems in front of them but I would just say to them at the very least start writing your ideas down do thumbnail storyboards with stick figures if you have to but at least be thinking about what you want to make until you can make it 
um, don't, don't let those barriers stop you from doing anything at all is, a, is the main thing. But, you know, there's, there's so much stuff out there now that, that people can access that I, I'm just thrilled. <clears throat> you know, I wanted to do so much as a kid with my Super 8 camera and I couldn't do any of it. Like I, I couldn't do blue screen shots and, and all the kind of special effects stuff I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I would make do with like really crude representations of it. And I look at fan films now and I'm like, holy crap, look at that. That's yeah. full on, you know, <laughs> like the, all visual effects. It's amazing. The, I don't know if you've ever seen it, the, the Darth Maul fan, fan video that came out years ago now where he's like training on a planet and a whole bunch of Jedi from like a temple come to like hunt him down. Like I haven't seen it. It sounds it's great. it's it, it's insane. Like it's so it's so good. Um, I wanted to give shout out to Sophia. I know she was featured for it was a I believe it was like a Women's Day last week, International Women's Day. Um, in terms of you know you were featured like on a panel of women and in, in terms of like in, you know you know you know that. Yeah. Um, what you know, what Ryan and I think of you in terms of what what you're doing, in the in the field of astrophysics, being a woman, being a woman of color, um, and your excitement. And so, when I said that this is you know Ryan, you know me and Ryan Super Bowl, like I I 100% um, meant that. Like there's no hyperbole, you know, when when we said that uh, whatsoever. Is there anything happening in space besides everything that's popping off and? and Mars um, that we should, you know, be aware of, you know, look out for? Okay, first of all, I have to say thank you for that, because that was super, super nice of you, so thanks. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> one, okay, so what, what, what do I have to look for, in, or what to look forward to in space? Like, what do we not look forward to in space? There's so much stuff. I Can mean, we can we talk about the pretty pictures of Pluto that recently came out? Ah, you... so you mean you mean with with New Horizons? So that was like yes. when when the when the New Horizons right. So that was the New Horizons flyby. It was in 2015 when it flew by Pluto, and whoa, like this planet, dwarf planet, mm. <laughs> just mm. is spectacular. You got like moving ices on it, a heart. A hard on a like come on, man. You know, it was just it's it, it's amazing. Like and and um and then there are these these sort of silhouettes, like when the when the spacecraft was already kind of moving away and and off into deeper into space, where the sun was kind of covered, so it was silhouetting it, and you can see the atmosphere around it. Like Pluto has an atmosphere. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, uh, didn't you recently just put out a peer-reviewed, a peer-reviewed paper? That's uh, right. Were you published? I am. Yes, I am. Published in, in an actual journal as well. Yes. Congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. And what was it on? <laughs> what was, it was Dark Matter. I know it's related to Dark Matter. Yeah, it was on Dark Matter and it's this specific type. Okay, this is actually really fitting because we're you know we're talking about star wars and the force <laughs> so it's actually <laughs> yes so it's actually about this type of dark matter that that experiences forces that we don't that we don't understand so we call it like a dark force and so anytime i'm giving a talk i always flash like darth vader's 
gif at that point, right? Because it's it's a force that we don't understand. Mm. And so you can almost kind of like think that it's 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 like the force itself. So like the, the force that 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 which is why you have like the lightsaber. If if you're on like I guess the um, not the dark side, so you're like you know you're you're good. <laughs> then you would kind of, you, you need the electromagnetic force which is with photons so the analogous force if it's if it's a dark photon would be like kind of almost like dark electromagnetic you know and so um maybe that's what the force is you know you never know it's not um, it's not but um but yeah so like so so it's got dark forces and stuff like that and um yeah and we have a dark saber in mandalorian so there's that I also did want to point something out because I'm not sure if you all know about this but you really should do you know that there is a moon in our solar system that looks like the Death Star oh yeah it's, I didn't uh, know that what, t- tell me which one it is because I remember seeing a picture of it Mimus it's, and it's, it's Saturn's moon yeah yeah, and it looks like the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> is. Yeah. Saturn, Saturn has some great moons. Is it Triton? Triton is one of Saturn's moons, right? Triton is Neptune. Oh, is Neptune. Oh, okay. You mean Titan? You mean Titan? Titan. Titan. Yeah, yeah, Titan. I yes, love and t- I love that moon. Love it. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Um, that's that's where uh, I don't know if anybody has watched Gattaca here, but that's oh, also yeah. like, yeah. So um, th- that's kind of like based on sending people to Titan and a whole bunch of other stuff that like there's, they, they live in this alpha beta society. And if you're a beta, you can't do things. If you're an alpha, you can do whatever you want almost. <laughs> and so, um, but Titan is the only other planet that has actual fl- like liquid flowing. It's not water, right, right? but it's still liquid that flows. It's like methane. And it has this huge atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's such an incredible moon. It is. I've yeah. watched a lot of YouTube, YouTube videos on Titan, probably more than yeah. the world. Yes. <laughs> um, I had this last one for how, um, how the whole process of um, the agent, Mark Hamill and Luke, um, how, how was that for you? What what went into that? I know that Disney, like as a whole, has experience with that, mostly like in Marvel and Civil War, you know, Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy two. Right. Um, but what kind of went into you know? I get it for you, like you want to make it yours. You don't want to copy what maybe some other people have done in the past. So how did you kind of personalize it um, for what you do in, in your style and your team? Um. Yeah, I mean, that's one aspect of the work I can't get too much into nuts and bolts about, but I can talk about it. Um, It's the hardest thing there is to do because, um, you know, digital humans generally are tough, even if it was a a completely unknown human, right? But then again, why would you bother to do a CG human that nobody knows because you could just hire an actor to play that part. So in these cases, we're almost always doing like we did in, Rogue One, we had mm-hmm. Tarkin and Leia, you know, doing characters and actors really that are really well known to the public. And so the same situation here. And so even if you do your job perfectly, like if you could, there, there was no flaw in it, let's just say, the audience still knows that it's 
a special effect because yeah, we, we know Mark Hamill is not that young. We know that Peter Cushing is not still alive, etc. So they're going to be, it just activates a part of their brain that's sort of picking at it. So it just makes it kind of work really hard. But Peyton and John and Dave were really keen to do this and, and not go another route, like, for instance, uh, recasting the part with an actor with, with a resemblance. Um, and so um, I will, I guess the, the main thing I'd say about it is, um, you know, Peyton had, had done some work uh, in this regard on Ant-Man. With Michael Douglas, de-aging yep, Michael yeah, Douglas. Yeah. Yep, sure did. He had some experience with it already, so he had a lot of ideas about how he, uh, you know, wanted to proceed, and and so that in a way kind of set our path in, in many ways. Um, and we, uh, but it was just, uh, I don't know how to say it. It's just, it's really hard work to do. It's, for, I'll be honest, for me personally, it's not work I particularly enjoy doing because yeah. it's so darn hard, and because of what I was saying where. Even if you do it perfectly, you're you're still going to have people kind of looking at it and look, yeah. looking for the flaws because they can't help it, right? They know it's, what's the yeah. effect. Um, I think we did fine with this, uh, just based on reactions, like you know your own Adam. You were telling me earlier, and and uh, and Ryan, and and also the the uh, reaction videos I've looked at and stuff. So I'm very proud of the work. I think it came off great, but it's just so hard. You just you're just looking, you've got, you know, all these eyeballs staring at it, trying to figure out, uh, you know, on a given shot, like, well, what's the, is it the chin? No, the chin's fine. It's the yeah, nose. Everybody's like, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's tough. I have to admit, so, I do it too. Yeah. Can you, so is there any so way hard. you can, um, I, I know you can't get too much into it, but like, what makes it so hard? I guess it's like. like it's a what combination makes... of, of, I mean, just doing a realistic CG human in and of itself is just tough. It's tough mm -hmm. to get skin texture right. It's tough to get, well, the model right to begin with. Then all the textures, um, the hair. Uh, and then when you start moving it, that's a whole other dimension to it. Like mm -hmm. if we talk or, or whatever, that brings a whole other thing because it's very easy to break the illusion as soon as it starts to move. Mm -hmm. That's just tough. That, then you have this whole other aspect of likeness because you're doing not just any human, you're doing a specific human and a human that a lot of people are super familiar with. So it just is really hard. Plus, you, you know, at the same time, My goodness. there's nothing that humans are more familiar with than the human face. Like oh, we know okay. exactly what humans look like and how they talk and how they move. Even if you've never met this person, yeah. you just know what humans, it, it's hardwired oh, into us. It's, it's why right. babies, you know, recognize their parents immediately, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff like that. So the minute you deviate from that in just the tiniest way, like if you've got a character talking and there's some phoneme that you've kind of imperfectly formed or the getting from one phoneme to another, somewhere in the middle, it does something that doesn't quite adhere to what the lip muscles should be doing as it goes from an O to an M or whatever, even to the, just the most microscopic amount people's brains are just alerted. You know, this is the mm -hmm. thing we hear so much about the uncanny valley. And people will say, oh, it's, in, it's always in the eyes. No, it's not always in the eyes. It's sometimes in the eyes, but not always. Uh, it can be in the mouth movement. It could be in the skin shading. It could be, there's so many little tiny things and they only have to be off by the tiniest little amount for the illusion to kind of collapse and people right. to be creeped out by it or weirded out by it. So that's why it's tough. And, that's um, 
I, as I said, I've been through it a few times now. And honestly, I'd be happy if I never had to do it. <laughs> besides, besides Mandalorian Rogue One, have you had experience with like just the whole CGI de-aging thing or those only two? No, those are the only two. Because we did, prior to that, I, uh, Davy Jones was the closest I'd gotten. Well, no, that's not true. Uh, what Davy Jones then um, on Warcraft, we did these orcs that were, had, I'd say 90% of the problems of trying to do a realistic human. But because, like with Davy Jones, because they were stylized in some way, Davy had sort of octopus skin and tentacles and things, and the orcs had these big tusks. And that gives you a little bit of a break because right. we don't, we've never met those things in real life, and we, you get a little right. bit of a break for it. But they taught me a lot about what the issues are. So that when we got to doing, you know, Tarkin and Leia, for instance, um, I, those things helped me. And, and all of us that did work on those past projects helped us to kind of do those. But we learn, and the, in, the industry itself is constantly getting better and better at these things. Like, we, you know, we did, Rogue One came out, and I think it was maybe five months later that Blade Runner 2049 came out. And there, Rachel, the digital Rachel um, that they created in that for one, one scene in Blade Runner 2049, I thought was amazing. Like I thought, okay, this is the new high bar. But then there's also stuff that snuck in there that people don't even notice. Like in um, that terrific, uh, was it called Logan? That terrific Marvel film from a few years back. Um, there are close-ups of uh, Logan in the film that are digital because they had a, a stunt driver, for instance, during, there's a car, there's a car chase and there's a stunt driver and they had the camera right there in the car on him and they replaced his head with a digital Logan head. And I guarantee you, nobody spotted that work. They just sailed right by. Now that's not quite as challenging as just yeah. having them right. there right. talking. At yeah. Yeah. They were still very challenging shots. And I was knocked out when I saw some making of stuff after the fact, because I, did it sailed right by me i've no oh, idea wow. so um you know we're getting better and better at it but it's still just so hard to do <laughs> really so hard. don't be so hard on yourself man like, right. they're great they're great <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you thank you God. well like i said i'm super proud like i was pleased as punch at the reaction to uh the end of the season and uh you know it, it's it's been great great so i'm i'm happy about that so we're in, you know, and we learn too. We're gonna, yeah. we've got, you know, next time I have to do that kind of work. Um, and we learned that, like, I didn't work on Irishman. That was a whole different technology. Oh man! But our oh, studio right. ILM did that work, and so wow. we've got, we've got that. We've so, uh, you know, we have a whole range of techniques now we can use, all the way from, you know, deep fakes, which everyone's talking about these days, to the techniques they used in the Ironman, uh, the Irishman, to the techniques we used on. Mandalorian, you know, they're all they're all a little bit different, and there's some yeah. overlap here and there, but it's great because we've got we've got a whole range of ways to attack this kind of work and make it make it look as good as it can. Yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'll just go ahead. I was just say like in your feel how like when you're watching a movie, it has special effects. Like, does sometimes like I don't know, like just like human pettiness come out, and you're you like watching something, you're just like. Like these, this CGI is trash. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think even I do that. So right? I, like, I, you're yeah. like, like, what were they? And I'm thinking? not an expert at that. <laughs> no, yes and no. Um, you know, there are times when I'll see an effect and think, oh, you know, that didn't quite work, did it? But 
I'm, I'm a very mild critic because uh, mainly because I'm so sympathetic to how exactly. hard this stuff is that I'd be, I'm not a very good critic. Let me put it that way. Cause if I was really just cold hearted about it, I could be a lot more cutting and like, okay, that was, that was trash. That, that was terrible. Whereas I'm more like, well, I see what they were going for. It was a near miss, yeah. but uh, I, I get what they were after that, you know, that's very challenging. <laughs> so I'm a little, yeah. I'm a little nicer about it than, than maybe I should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's no, very no. challenging. I could have done it better. In other words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I totally get it. I'm the same way. I, I work in IT and anytime I see like some huge like outage, all these servers are down and systems are down. Yeah. You know, and everybody's talking about it. Like, why can't I access this right now? I'm just like, oh man, I feel sorry for like the admin <laughs> who has to fix all of this. And he's like probably going to get fired. And he didn't do anything wrong, but it's just like, it's going to fall on him. Yeah. I just feel like, oh. Exactly. You know? <laughs> I'll tell you though, uh, one thing that, um, that has got me really excited in the world of uh, digital humans is um and it's not something we worked on at all uh, it's a documentary that just came out this year called welcome to chechnya um it's quite a good documentary uh, it's pretty important stuff it's about persecution of gays in chechnya and a network of folks in russia who have been helping them to escape uh via russia and then off to countries where they can get political asylum kind of a you know kind of an underground railroad sort of yeah. situation but if, so in making this documentary some of the people they focus on are, are these people who are in the process of being gotten out of, of Ukraine and, and, and off to someplace safe, more safe. And so their um, identities have to be concealed. And in you know, years past, what they might've done is a big blurry thing over their face or filming them in silhouette with yeah, like yeah, a yeah, yeah. voice changer. But what they chose to do was because the filmmakers were very keen that the audience be able to empathize with these people and read their emotions. So instead, they used deep fake to give them a new face so they could still emote and talk and relate to the audience, but they just didn't look like themselves. And, and they didn't try to do it seamlessly. In other words, they didn't try to trick the audience. You're, you're told up front that this is what they're doing. And so you can sometimes see a little bit of a blurry edge or something. And that's intentional because they're making, remember, a, a documentary, not a piece of fiction. And so they wanted to keep their sort of journalistic integrity intact by saying, look, we're not trying to trick you. We're just trying to make these people safe, but at the same time, allow them to connect with you on a human level. Yeah. Really brilliant work. I was super impressed and moved by it. Yeah. And then they also had people dub their voices. So they like speaking Russian. So they had a Russian speaking person dub the voice with, instead of using, you know, like one of those weird, like voice yeah, changes. Right. Yeah. Because again, they wanted a real human connection. And it's, I was so impressed by it. And I was excited because I was like, finally, this is a, an important and interesting use of this technology. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's really, really impressed me. Wow, that's awesome. Ryan, do you have, do you have anything else for, no. or, or yeah. I guess we, no, no. I, think, I think we covered it all. Um, this has truly been a, a dream come true for, for Ryan and I. We, like. I know it's barely 2021, but this is a highlight of 2021. Uh, I know that both Hal and Sophia are going to be crazy busy. Um, we got to get Sophia back to, you know, back to grading papers. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
but to Sophia and Hal, uh, thank you guys so much for, for coming on and, and taking time and spending like an hour and a half with us just talking and having a conversation. It's, it's been amazing. I had a ball. Thanks so much. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> great to meet you, Sophia. It's really nice to meet you as well, Hal. Yeah, it's it great bringing you all together for some reason. It's like, you know, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense, but it still does. Well, it actually makes I'm, a lot of sense. Yeah. Science, you know, like a lot of a lot of people in science are, are into science fiction, right? Yeah, and so yeah. um, it's just, I, I think it's a great, it's a great melding. <laughs> I love you get that. to like talk about all the, you know, where, where, where things go wrong and, you know, where they're right <laughs> and how they yeah. can be right. Yeah. I love I love talking to people that's excited about what they do. Yes. And I, I just I love that. I just love it. I just love it. It just it makes it inspires me. The energy. It's about the it's energy. About the, yeah. the energy it puts off. Yeah. yeah, it's it's amazing. So we're not gonna keep you guys any longer, uh, but truly thank you guys so much. Uh this should be up hopefully tomorrow morning. Um, and I know our, like, I don't, like, honestly, like, I don't really, really care about our listeners at this point. Like, this is just, this is something for me and Ryan and our listeners just going to be lucky that it got recorded type of situation. Like, they'll love it though. They're going to love it. Yeah, they will. They will. So <laughs> they, they thank both of you for, for coming on and continue to stay safe, uh, be vigilant, um, and, and, and be careful out there. All right. Thanks very much. All right. Thank thanks, you. Guys. Thanks guys. <laughs> and with that. We're out. Awesome. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.